0: Writers, hope you enjoyed my show today.
1: Welcome to Living Writers on WCBN FM Ann Arbor. My name is Frank Yulee. I'm sitting in for T. Hetzel and Amanda Yulee this afternoon. We're taping this show on June eleventh, two thousand nineteen. We have a very special guest this afternoon, Mr. Simon Callow, actor, director, and author of acclaimed biographies of Charles Lawton, Charles Dickens, Richard Wagner, and Orson Welles. Welcome, Simon. Hi. We're excited to have you down here. We've been in Ann Arbor for a little bit doing some research.
2: Yes, uh, I'm. I'm building up for the final. Volume, the fourth and final volume of my uh, Orson Welles biography, which has occupied me since 1989. So I, that's 30 years of, of my life, man and boy, have been at it. Wow.
1: Yeah, I, I, just to give our listeners a little background, because your talents uh, are in multiple areas, I'm going to just read the biography of you in the uh, recent book, B- Being Wagner, which came out a couple of years ago and um, is available from vintage books here in the United States. Um, Simon Callow is an actor, director, and writer. He made his stage debut in 1973 and came to prominence in a critically acclaimed performance as Mozart in the original stage production of Peter Schaeffer's Amadeus at the Royal National Theater in 1979. He's well known for a series of one-man shows that have toured internationally and featured subjects, including Dickens, Oscar Wilde, Shakespeare, Jesus, and Richard Wagner. Among as many of film roles is the character Gareth in Four Weddings and a Funeral, through the funeral. Mm-hmm. Callow simultaneously pursued careers as a director in theater and opera and an author of several books, including the biographical trilogy, not quite done, uh, hmm. Orson Welles, Charles Dickens, and the great theater of the world, My Life in Pieces, which won the Sheridan Morley Prize, shooting the actor, being an actor, and the biography, Charles Lawton. And again, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. Lovely to be here.
1: I guess one of the things I'm curious about you is that you started acting in the late 60s, early 70s?
2: Early 70s was my first professional uh, job as an actor. Mm -hmm. 73.
1: What led you to begin
2: writing? Oh, I'd always written. I've written for much longer than I've acted. I did not know that. And I had no particular idea that I could ever be an actor. I... Uh, I I was a very um, histrionic child. I showed off a lot. Oh. Um and uh and and uh, really went into it very thoroughly, but for some reason, I, I think the real reason is there was never any school drama in my schools. Mm-hmm. Except once in because uh, I lived in Africa for 3 years, um from the ages of 9 to 12. And there was a, there was a, 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 in one of those schools, I I, I did some acting and I liked it a lot. But when I came back to England and went to my grammar school in London, there was no school drama. So uh, it never, I never got a chance to try it, you know, to see Mm. what it was like. Um, I I loved the theatre passionately from. Really quite an early age mm-hmm. um, as a as a early teen, I was taking myself to the theater and uh, we went to the theater with the school. but you know uh, the theater can sometimes seem very far away from mm-hmm. ordinary life and you you think well h- how do you how how could you possibly become an actor you know it, it's sort of an unachievable idea mm-hmm. um but I knew that I was just fascinated by the theatre and I read everything that I could. I read books of criticism. I read plays by the yard. I read everything. everything I mean, I read all of George Bernard Shaw's plays. That's quite an achievement. I read all of Shakespeare much easier. And then I read Ibsen. I read Strindberg. I read Chekhov. I read all these writers. I read books of... Quite complex books of... Dramatic theory uh, um, histories of world theater, and all of that so I was immensely immersed in it but i i I just didn't quite see that I was that there was any way that I could become an actor uh, and uh, a lot of my, um, my, my 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 kind of um, more intense feelings came out in the form of writing, and I was serious enough about writing to have sold my entire record collection, which was something that I cherished deeply, Mm -hmm. in order to buy a typewriter. Wow. I bought myself a little typewriter. It was one of those 1960s kind of plastic typewriters, Mm -hmm. but it worked perfectly well. And I wrote and I wrote and I wrote and I wrote. But eventually I I began to lose uh, my enthusiasm for writing because all I was writing about was me, and even I could see that that was rather boring. (laughs) Um, and uh, so um, I was just basically absolutely at a loss as to what to do with myself. I had no desire to pursue any kind of academic career. I, I, I felt that I'd, I spent too long thinking about things and analyzing things. I wanted to do something, you know. Um, but I had no idea what that might be. I, I applied to go to university, um, but uh, then I didn't after all, go. I wanted to study Romanian, because I thought, well, that would get me out of the country at any rate, you Mm. know. Uh, um, I knew nothing about Romania (laughs) at all. (laughs) I still don't, really. I've never been there. And I've certainly never read any Romanian literature, although, by weird chance, my very first director in the theatre was a Romanian, but... Uh, I couldn't speak to him in Romanian, so that was a, that was a more or less academic. Um, uh, but uh, so I I I was writing essentially confessional uh, material, what I think probably nowadays uh, is known as journaling. Okay. Um, I haven't looked at it since it's there somewhere, but I haven't looked at it. Uh, um, but uh, for some reason also, which I am never quite understood, it never occurred to me. To become a journalist that would be so, such an obvious thing to do, and in a way th- that would be a way of getting out to see the world but mm-hmm. I, I think my I think my I, ideas about writing were very conditioned by books. I was in love with books, mm-hmm. basically the physical object impassioned me, and it still does and 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 there was something romantic and uh, and and um life saving about it for me i i I I lived in a world of of words and 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 stories and uh, and also non-fiction and I read huge amounts of uh, um uh, uh, about for example um re- comparative religions and mm-hmm. um, world history and I, I I I had no gift for science of any kind so it was largely a humanities you know was what I was I read Philosophy, lots of books of philosophy, and so on, so on. Uh, um, uh, but but and, and 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 plays and 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 novels, of course. Um, anyway, so I I, I I left school without anywhere to go, and I on, on an impulse uh, I lived in a part of London. I uh, went to school in a part of London called South Kensington, mm-hmm. which is near museums and near concert halls, and it's a very Attractive part of town, mm-hmm. and there were a number of bookshops. And I'd all the way through my my time at the the, 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 the school, I'd uh, been a, a, a regular visitor to to this second hand bookshop, run by an old fraud called John Moss. I can see him now, who <laughs> liked to give the impression that he was deeply versed in world literature, but he wasn't at all. But anyway, he uh, he he was a good chap because uh, he encouraged us. Students to read by giving us books at knock-down prices or, mm-hmm. or indeed at no price at all.
1: And I believe it was about this time you wrote a letter to Sir Lawrence Olivier, who offered you a job working in the box office at the National Theatre at the Old Vic, and that led you to decide you were interested in acting. So in 1968, you moved to Belfast to attend university. Carry me forward into when in you're writing took hold as, as a more... Yeah. Uh, not that you were doing only one or the other, but you've, at a certain point, you developed... I know, I was reading you, when you were in Ireland, you had occasion to interview um, Orson Welles' um, mentor, Michael... Macleomore. Mac- yeah. How, how did that happen, and how did that develop into well, the writing? Well,
2: that is very much part of my uh, sort of... Um, my, my writing self, because I knew who this write, this actor he was an extraordinary man. Michael McClearmore mm-hmm. was the most, probably the most famous uh, Irish actor of his time. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd had an extraordinary uh, career. Uh, he was a child actor in London, um, playing Oliver Twist to Sir Herbert Beerbohm Tree's uh, Fagin. In nineteen hundred and thirteen, wow! So, and, and and he went to the first performance of the Rite of Spring in in uh, uh, London. He mm-hmm. shook Sarah Bernhardt's hand, and so on. Uh, and he was a legend, an extraordinary, uh, and, and had the most wonderful voice, an extraordinary, rich Irish accent, and uh, 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 did a show called The Importance of Being Oscar which is, of course, about Oscar Wilde, and and, and uh, it's a one-man show, and uh, it was uh, unique in form. It's a, it's a wonderful uh, thing. He invented a wonderful um, way of introducing a writer to an audience, which is, uh, I call it, he didn't call it this, but it's sort of living biography in a way, because he'd talk as himself about, Oscar Wilde mm-hmm. um, evoking situations and moments uh, from Wilde's life and then uh, going seamlessly into extracts from the plays or the novel and the stories and the so on the b- poems and uh, um, he had a an, ex- he, an ex- it was I would not hesitate to describe it as a sort of genius as a storyteller and as an evoker of things and of someone who was able to create an atmosphere in the theatre. And by now, he'd been doing this play for only about eight years, actually. but It had been a huge success, and it had taken him all over the world. But he was doing it everywhere and anywhere now for one-night stands just to really make the money. And uh, uh, But uh, when, I, when it was announced that he was coming to Belfast for the Irish University Drama Association competition, in which I myself was taking part... And, in a play in that competition, um, uh, it was announced that he'd come and do two performances, of the, the importance of being asked, which i had already heard on LPs. I mean, hmm. it, it was very famous, wow. this thing, and I, 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 I thought it was uh, wonderful. And so I thought, how am I going to get to meet this man? I must meet him. So I went to the student newspaper, which was called Gown, and I said to them, um, this great man is uh, coming. In a couple of uh, weeks' time, uh, you need an article about him. Send me down to... Uh, interview him. And so they gave me an extraordinarily large tape recorder a massive thing, And uh, I trundled down to Dublin, where I had not been before. And I went to Michael's house in Harcourt Terrace. I remember it extraordinarily well, where he lived with the director Hilton Edwards, who was his partner Mm -hmm. in life and in in art. And um, uh, he gave me the most dazzling wonderful interview it was he was just enchantingly funny and wise and witty and 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 outrageous daring and so on I was not unaware that he was covered in makeup even (laughs) at 10 o'clock in the morning and wore a toupee which was I would have thought made of plastic basically uh, which had a tendency to wander about his skull a bit and um but that didn't in any way detract from this extraordinary phenomenon, this wonderful intimacy and so on that he, he created with one immediately. And so I, I went back to uh, Belfast bearing the tape recorder mm-hmm. um, and um, it, it hadn't worked very well and 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 uh, and, and it was hard work. We'd talked for two or three hours. So I just sort of put it away and I just remembered what he'd said to mm-hmm. me more or less. Mm-hmm. And I wrote the piece. And uh, he sent a message back saying, um, this is the most wonderful interview I've ever had in my life with anyone. Every word so accurately. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's good. Uh, anyway, uh, um, then uh, so that, I think, was my first uh, published work, except for the school magazine. But in the school magazine, I have to confess to something now, on your um, welcoming channel, it's broadcasting on our this. airwaves here, I can I can actually make a confession to the millions of people who are listening to this. that um, the very first thing I submitted to my school magazine was not written by me. <laughs> it was actually um, a piece that had been circulating among the white community. Of a, a a sort of retelling in Patois of Genesis, hmm. I suspect actually that it was American, because it was all about the Lord and all of that. Wow! Okay. And so I submitted that and achieved instant literary fame <laughs> as a result of it. But I, I was I was very conscious that I'd done this, perpetrated this this mm-hmm. fraud. But I, I only wanted to get the toe, my toe in the door so as I could write other pieces. And mm-hmm. then I did write other pieces, and I've read them since, and they're not bad. Okay. I, I, I could obviously – I had some gift for writing. I was a great letter writer. Mm-hmm. I, I, and these, of course, were the days when that was the primary form of communication. Mm-hmm. Um, phone calls uh, to anywhere uh, except round the corner were very expensive and had to be booked in advance, and there was nothing else really. I mean, there were telegrams and there were letters. And indeed, I had a great success by writing a letter to Laurence Olivier, which is how I came to work at Mm -hmm. the uh, Old Vic. Mm -hmm. I wrote him a 3 full scap closely-typed letter, Mm -hmm. explaining to him what a wonderful theatre he had. And uh, he wrote back to me by return of post and said, if you like it so much, why don't you come and work here? Mm -hmm. In the box office, you know. Mm -hmm. Uh, So um, uh, that, that, that... uh, piece about Michael was was a bit of a thing, but and I was gaining some uh praise for the uh, uh, essays that I was writing mm-hmm. in my various uh, um subjects you know uh and um uh, it uh, 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 I I I definitely felt my my sort of literary muscles flexing a bit, and I'd written a show which I called Fin de siècle," which was about the writers of the Fin de siècle for mm. about eight of us actors, so rather um, kind of um, um, fanciful but 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 quite provocative and interesting piece in which I'd sort of written this wonderful part for myself as the narrator a uh, very high flown uh, language, <laughs> but it was good because we. You know, quoted a lot of you know, people didn't really much know then, and they don't much know now, the poets and the writers of the 1890s. Mm-hmm. And I was immersed in all that. I mm-hmm. knew that inside out. I knew it by heart, you know. And it culminated in a uh, condensed version of Oscar Wilde's Salome. So I was already thinking a bit uh, uh, as a writer. Mm-hmm. And. um uh anyway, uh, it became perfectly apparent to me that I was wasting my time at university because all I wanted to be was an actor. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still didn't know whether I could act or not because you, it's a little hard to tell in university productions. Mm-hmm. But I thought what was the most interesting sign was that when I played Trigorin in The Seagull, mm-hmm. But I knew absolutely, the moment I stepped on the stage, how terrible I was in the part. I knew that I, although I had a kind of convincing exterior, Mm -hmm. that I I just felt like death. I just wanted the the stage to open up underneath me. Mm -hmm. And so I thought, no, I've got to go to drama school to find out, just to find out, Mm -hmm. whether I can act, whether I have any talent at all. I had no idea. And I, I, indeed, I went to the auditions. I only chose one drama school to go to. And I went to the audition with, in my mind, um, an absolute commitment that if they didn't want me, then I'd join the Navy instead. (laughs) Because I thought they'd know, they'd know perfectly well. They'd see, you know, whether I had any talent, potential talent or not. So I went to drama school. And that was hard, very, very hard indeed. The first half of my drama training was was kind of rather awful. And then, interestingly enough, I I had a great breakthrough. Many people have breakthroughs at drama school. It's Mm -hmm. uh, it's sort of part of the experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was, uh, it was a very unusual drama school, and a very wonderful one. And one of the things you had to do was to write. Uh, There was a class called Analysis. You had to take a topic from the history of the drama and to write a piece. And I wrote a piece about um uh fourth century Athens BC. Uh and I created a character, mm-hmm. uh, a sort of Greek everyman, whom I called Testicles. <laughs> and, All right. um, and uh uh and I, I wrote the whole the whole thing. And um I, I was so uh concerned with whether the show was going right, whether everybody was doing what they were supposed to do or in the right place and so on. But when it came to my own pieces, I hadn't had no time to be self-conscious or to be at all inhibited or indeed to be worried about it. I just went and did them like this. And it was very good. They, it worked very, very well. You know, people really, really laughed. And, and the you know, tutor, who was the principal of the school, said, you know, that's... Wonderful! That's mm-hmm. now that is acting, and I thought, mm-hmm. what? That's acting. Oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just being being connected to your centre and uh, letting yourself think the thoughts of the character, you know. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, and then I whizzed ahead. Then, then for the rest of my time at mm-hmm. drama school, I, I I was doing fantastically well. Mm-hmm. Um. Uh, but and then then uh, then then I embarked on on my career as an actor. 1973, working with this Romanian director, and it was uh, 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 and then I I had a a steady path of six years which seemed to be leading inexorably to one extraordinary thing which I could never have imagined, was myself playing the title role in Peter Schaffer's new play, Amadeus.
1: Amazing. That was certainly, I mean... You were in the movie too, although the movie starred
2: um, Tom Hulse. Tom Hanks, yeah, uh,
1: yeah. Tom Hanks, right. But uh, that was a huge success here as a movie, yeah, and and on Broadway as well. Mm. So I'm sure mm. you in the, the British original production, it must have been a, a similarly.
2: Oh, it was an astonishing success, yeah. absolutely astonishing. Yeah. But the thing is that. Therefore, in about six years, mm-hmm. I'd done almost everything you can do in the theatre. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd, uh, as an actor, mm-hmm. I'd, 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 uh, I'd, I'd um, appeared at the Edinburgh Festival, which is where my my first mm-hmm. uh, performance was. But in the in the international festival, mm-hmm. I'd appeared in repertory. I'd appeared in small theatres. I'd appeared. I'd done some television. Mm-hmm. I'd done. The classics, I'd played Titus Andronicus, i played Arturo Ui, all of this within about six years. And then suddenly, here I was on the stage of the National Theatre acting with the greatest actor that I've ever seen, Paul Schofield. (laughs) And so I I was in a kind of ecstasy, really. And it was then that a friend of mine who taught at Goldsmiths College said, Will you come to... Goldsmiths and give just talk to the English uh, society. Mm-hmm. So I said I would, and I thought I know exactly what they want. They want me to tell funny stories about Paul Schofield and you know <laughs> what it's like, you know, when the set falls down and all mm-hmm. the rest of it. Mm-hmm. And I thought I had much higher ambitions than mm-hmm. that. So I sat down for nearly three months writing every day to write mm-hmm. my understanding of what I thought the theatre was. What it's, what it's like to be an actor and what uh, the purpose of doing plays is. Anyway, so it was slightly ambitious for a little talk to the English Society. <laughs> I managed by the end of my hour to have spoken about an eighth of what <laughs> I had written. And so by this time I'd met an extraordinary person, uh, an, an agent called Peggy Ramsey, she was a mm-hmm. literary agent. She was the most famous play agent of her day and has every um, reason to be considered the greatest playwright, probably a play, play, playwright's agent who has ever lived. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, Peggy took a great shine to me and uh, she came to see this speech and she said, Would you like me to send it to a famous publisher? And I said, Yes, absolutely great. Mm -hmm. And he read it, this famous publisher, and he said, well, it's too short for a book, uh, but it's too long for an essay. Would you like to edit a book with essays by lots of your contemporaries, Mm -hmm. or would you like to expand it into a full book? And I said, the latter. And I went away and I wrote my first book, which was called Being an Actor, Mm -hmm. which was finally published in 1984. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, it was a very, very big success. It was a remarkable success. It's still in print. It's always been in print. And I, uh, um, I then I really did begin to feel that I could write, and that, and I began to become ambitious uh, for writing. I was also, which was quite an important thing in my in my general development, was being asked to write things for newspapers. Oh, really? I became a journalist. Mm -hmm. I think I can describe myself as a journalist Mm -hmm. uh, around, well, in 1981 or something like that. And I was doing a play in the West End and the uh, London Evening Newspaper asked me to write a a piece about it. And so I did. And it was very, very successful. Mm -hmm. Uh, People liked it very much. And I I felt greatly encouraged and spirited. But I I was basically writing about what I had just discovered all the time. I was writing about... I was writing... Because I came to the theatre almost as an anthropologist Mm -hmm. might come to an exotic tribe, you know. Mm -hmm. I I, I thought, well, gosh, this is the way it is in the theatre. This is what's actually involved. This This is what the experience of doing a play is for us actors, but also... For the audience, this is what's going on. This is the interest. So I, I sort of, um, uh, uh, but but, I, but the book was quite um, uh, shrewdly divided into a first half, which mm-hmm. was just an account of my life as an actor mm-hmm. up till then, mm-hmm. and then a the second half, which was the cycle in any actor's life, which I said uh, begins with the actor emerging from the primeval swamp that is known as unemployment <laughs> through getting a job, uh, rehearsing it, uh, doing the run and then the last performance and then going back into the primeval swamp called mm-hmm. Unemployment. So uh, and, and that rang a lot of belts with a lot of actors and but also mm-hmm. a lot of people that didn't know very much about the theatre uh, thought that they'd learned something about it. So mm-hmm. it was a useful book and mm-hmm. it was a timely book and it was an, an engaging book. I mean people did like it. Um, and I look back at it with you know, I don't disown it in any way. I think it was—it's been in print now since 1984, which is uh, quite an achievement. No, you've you've reissued it with a
1: couple of different forewords. Yeah. Over the years, <laughs> and you've, as some reviewers have even said, bravely left it alone—the original text. You oh, have right,
2: they said I should have left it alone?
1: No, they—they they said you did leave it alone. I assume you—you you, you made very little. At least I—I I was reading. The oh forward. yes, I didn't change the base. Yeah, you didn't text. go back, and it's not like one of those uh, no, no. albums where some artists go back and. T- you know changes the drums because they didn't think that they didn't know like no. the drummer or whatever no so
2: no no it would have been wrong i think to do that because oh, uh that was what the boy that i was mm-hmm. uh i was 30 really when i 31 or something when i wrote it uh that was that was who, who i was and how i mm-hmm. who, how i spoke and i don't i don't uh, uh i'm not embarrassed by anything in it thank god it's mm-hmm. also very very important for me because it was a book in which i was Able after years of giving interviews where I'd, people had said, So, uh, um, uh, have you got a girlfriend? And I said, No, I'm gay. And they would never, ever print it mm-hmm. because journalists don't want to be told those things. They want to, they find you out, they oh. want to expose you. Expose you, yeah. So I wasn't uh, up for being exposed, so they left me alone. Um, uh, but I, I, I thought it was important that somebody should, because I don't think, to be honest with you, up to that point, I don't think any leading actor mm-hmm. in Britain had ever voluntarily mm-hmm. come out. They'd been outed one way or another, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes by being arrested, sometimes mm-hmm. by being exposed by a newspaper or something. But mm-hmm. I, I, So it was a very good thing to have done that, to have done something and just completely... Un, under no coercion whatever, mm-hmm. and indeed, having been advised by many, many people that it would be the end of my career, wow. uh, I nonetheless went straight ahead and I did it.
1: Well, we're talking with Simon Callow here about his writing and acting careers, and we're going to take a short break for a musical selection. Mm-hmm. you're just telling us about your autobiography or your memoir this was in 1984 and then in 1987 you published um, a biography of Charles Lawton.
2: yes well uh, my publisher uh, uh, who, who was pleased as we all were with with the success of the first book said um, what next and I I said I I think I'd like, what I'd really like to do, I was just about to do a play called On the Spot by an English uh, crime writer called Edgar Wallace. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this play had been written for Charles Lawton to do. And Charles Lawton was one of my great, great heroes. Mm -hmm. I suppose my great heroes as a a young uh, 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 theatre-goer and film watcher were um, Olivier and Lawton, who were two... Totally opposite kinds of actors. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I loved them both. Uh, and um, so I set that was when well, I set out to do this play in which Lawton had a huge success. He's basically playing Al Capone, mm-hmm. a different name in the play, but mm-hmm. he's really playing Al Capone. Mm-hmm. While it was happening, you know, wow. 1930. Mm-hmm. So it was mm-hmm. going on in Chicago at that very minute. And it was, you know, for most Europeans, the, the the lawlessness of Chicago was a byword for, for something so terrifying and anti, you know, sociopathic and all that. And um, so I wanted to know how Lawton had approached the part, mm-hmm. how he'd created this, because the writing is good, but it's conventional. But everybody spoke about Lawton's performance as being terrifying. Mm-hmm. People just were filled with anxiety as they watched him. They felt this man could easily lash out with a baseball bat and smash someone to pieces, sort of Brando-like in a way. The same sort of thing, an actuality about it. Mm -hmm. And so I looked for books about Lawton, and it was—they were dreadful, dreadful, all of them, shocking. (laughs) There was a studio stitch-up job, which is just awful written in the 50s. Mm-hmm. There was a book written by Elsa Lanchester in the 30s, which his wife, which was sort of whimsical, but not very illuminating about him. Uh, then there was a new book just about come out then, um, which had been commissioned by Elsa Lanchester by a writer called um uh, uh, uh Charles Hyam who was who specialized in rather scandalous accounts of of mm-hmm. actors and it also is a miserable terrible book mm-hmm. um uh, and uh, but at least it acknowledged that he was gay which was a, which was in fact that was the point of the book that Elsa mm-hmm. Lanchester wanted to expose her late husband mm-hmm. to the world for what he was mm-hmm. um and then she wrote her own autobiography uh which was pretty savage about in one way or another. But uh, I thought, uh, yes, all of this may be true, but I want to know what his idea of acting was. Mm -hmm. Because this was his life. This was at the centre of his life, his Mm -hmm. art. And so I sort of set out to write a book which looked at his work and as best I could uh, gave an account of, what he thought he was doing as an actor Mm -hmm. and the impact it had on his fellow actors and so on. So I went, you know, I I just sort of set out. I had no idea really what a a biography entailed. Uh, uh, I just said, well, I'll I'll look up the names of everybody that he worked with, and uh, uh, if they're still alive, I'll try and find them and talk to them, which I did. Uh, And um, I spoke to, you know, a a lot of people, a lot of people. Um, um, And, uh, but but uh, what I, I was completely innocent of was that uh, the idea of archives and all of that mm. uh i i looked at the press archives in london but but uh, fairly superficially i have to say mm. and it wasn't until i'd finished the book and i was sitting in at supper in los angeles and i'd i'd been asked to make a documentary about lawton uh for an english television company and indeed, uh, I, I had done that, and I'd interviewed people like Stuart Granger and um, um, uh, Robert Mitchum and all mm. that, Rex Harrison and all, all mm. sorts of important people who'd worked with him. And so I was well pleased with my labours, and I put the book more or less to bed. And the, my neighbour at the uh, dinner party that I was attending said to me, um, uh, what did you make of the archive at UCLA? And I said, archive? <laughs> well, ar- 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 archive? Oh, yes, he said, there's a huge Lawton archive at UCLA. Really? Really? I said, oh, oh gosh. And so I got in touch with my publisher. I phoned him, as one had to do in these days. And I said, hold the press. Wow. And I went to UCLA. And there were 28 boxes of material. Hmm. Thank God. 26 of them turned out to be uh, screenplays he'd turned down.
1: <laughs> wow,
2: okay. So there were just two boxes of pure gold, mm. letters from Brecht, all kinds of amazing, amazing, wonderful, wonderful stuff. Wow. And I ate it up, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, 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 went back home, borrowed somebody's typewriter and, 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 and rewrote... All the chapters that had anything to do with that material, and they, mm-hmm. and these are the days when nobody was very pleased with me at all at the publishing house because these were the days when it was all typeset; it wasn't, you know, oh, yeah. digitized as mm-hmm. we know. And so I, uh, so uh, the book came out, and that too, fortunately, was a, a quite a success. Um, but I thought I'm never ever going to make that mistake again. So when he said, what's the next book you want to write? I said, well, look, I've written about a young actor starting his career and discovering all about the Mm theatre. I've written about a genius of acting Mm -hmm. and tried to figure out what's going on with geniuses like that. And then I now want to write about the whole process of putting on a play. And I want to write about a golden age of the Mm theatre. And there are some, and I'd actually... Been part of one. The Old Vic, the, uh, the National Theatre at the Old Vic, was a golden age. It was extraordinary the work that was done, and uh, I said that I, I remembered that I'd read when I was at drama school a book by John Houseman, who was a producer and uh, a impresario, mm-hmm. and latterly an actor, um, about his early days in the American theatre in the nineteen thirties, in which he had been Orson Welles's producer at the Mercury Theatre and with the Federal Theatre Project. And this, it's a wonderful book. And his account of those days is just dazzling. And right at the centre of it is this fabulous um, portrayal of Orson Welles. And and I I, I, I wasn't that sort of interested in Orson Welles. I'd I'd, I'd seen Chimes at Midnight and thought that was wonderful. Mm -hmm. And when I was at university, I saw Kane, and I also thought that was wonderful, but it didn't... Moved me very much. It, I, I, I thought it was an astonishing achievement, clearly. But I, I uh, you know, and I hadn't seen much else, to be honest. Uh, so it was really this thing about the theatre that interested me so much. So then I set out. But now this time, I was going to do my work thoroughly, and so I really, literally, contacted. Everybody, not just the people I could easily get hold of, but wow. everywhere, I track people down to the ends of the earth. Wow. I spent hours and days and days in the public library, the new york uh, public library the the, you know, the arts uh, uh, collection there mm-hmm. uh, in, um, in, uh, I went up to washington uh, to, uh, the, um, to to study the archives of the Federal theater project. Mm-hmm. I went to welles 's birthplace. Kenosha in Wisconsin. I went uh, to every single place Wells had ever gone to. I went to the place where he went to as a little boy on holiday Mm -hmm. in a place called Grand de Tour. Grand de Tour is just uh, in Mm -hmm. Illinois. Uh, 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 Absolutely fascinating uh, places to go to. Um, I I, I just checked out everywhere that he'd ever made theatre. Mm-hmm. which meant his own old school Todd School in Woodstock, Illinois and so on and so on and so on as I started doing all this the people I was interviewing said to me why why, why aren't you writing a full biography why just write about his theatre because mm-hmm. you're doing the work of a biography and mm-hmm. frankly we don't believe any of the books that have been written about Wells so far we don't recognise <laughs> the man we knew, the boy we knew wow. in any of this. Hmm. So I said, "Well, oh, that's a good idea. Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll write the biography. And I went to my publisher and I said, it'll have to be in three volumes. I said, it'll have to be, the first volume will have to go up to Cain. The second volume will go up to Chimes at Midnight. Mm-hmm. And the third volume, I said triumphantly, will be a novel because he only made two films after Chimes at Midnight, both 50 minutes long. That's 20 years of his life to account mm-hmm. for. You have to get into his head somehow. Mm-hmm. And the publisher a Wise Old Man called Aaron Asher, who uh, was the publisher of um, uh, Grove Press, okay. with whom we were doing the book that the English publisher was associated with, said, he said, if you are very lucky, you will be allowed to write this book in two volumes neither of which will be a novel. <laughs> so I said, All right, okay. So I went off and I wrote it. And then I started, you know, then the, then the research was enormous. I mean, it was really. And nobody mm-hmm. lived more lives and worlds. I mean, it's just staggering what he did in so many different mediums, mm-hmm. you know, on the radio, on the in television, on the stage. Uh At a certain point in his life, uh, he he became very politically active. He did Mm -hmm. radio programs in which he uh, attempted to be very uh, um, uh, kind of uh, politically sharp in in his criticisms. Mm -hmm. Um, That didn't work, of course. Nobody wanted to let him do that. Uh, And so on. Uh, He went through the whole catastrophic debacle of Citizen Kane. Uh, Citizen Kane, of course, was hugely acclaimed, but did no business. It lost a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And then the magnificent Amberson's catastrophe, where uh, they took the film away from him, they remade the ending, and so on, all of this stuff. So it was a huge... I mean, even now I'm, I'm a little astonished that I was able to do as much as I did, mm-hmm. because it did require my being on the spot again, these are the days, no internet then, no nice, you know uh, digitized uh, archives on, 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 on uh, that you can just call up at the touch of a button, yeah. you had to go into those libraries and those archives, you had to get microfilm almost everything was microfilmed and you'd mm-hmm. have to punch it out, those terrible black, sooty pages would emerge. (laughs) You could hardly read at all, and so on. But I did it. I I slogged around the world to do all that Um, and became, of course, utterly fascinated by him and realized that after the first book, which stopped with Cain, that the second book, which is called Hello, Americans, is about only five years of his life because they're so dense. The activities mm-hmm. were so multifarious uh, and s- actually so little known mm-hmm. that I thought it was absolutely vital mm-hmm. that I s- tease it all out. And uh, Otherwise, the danger for a biographer of a life like Wells's is, is that it becomes, if you do it in one volume, for example, is that it becomes one damn thing after another. Exactly. And you don't have a chance to look at it because Wells... Wells mm-hmm. From an early age, was uh, very active in reinventing the facts of his own life. Mm-hmm. So it was necessary for me to challenge and test everything that he ever said about himself. It is very rare that he tells the simple truth about himself, mm-hmm. um, but it's all right. I, I don't. I don't feel uh, at all pious about that. I don't. I don't uh, feel. He should have been otherwise, um, but if we want to know the facts, we have to go beyond what he says about his own life.
1: And you do a remarkable job. I, I recently read uh, the first volume, *The Road oh, yes. to and I, my wife can testify to this. I couldn't put it down. It was hmm. just the, the the level of, as you say, if it had just been a, a synopsis of his life in one volume. The, yeah. the depth and the texture are so compelling that it just it just reads. There's, there's, I mean, it, it's your skill as a writer. A lot of it, <coughs> it just it reads so vividly. It's like a page Good. I mean, I, I, I was laying on the couch all weekend, <laughs> couldn't put it down. You know, my family's like, "What happened to you?" So, um, I mean, it was well worth
2: the effort to, to dig into that level of detail. Yes, it it, uh, it caused a lot of hostility amongst certain of the what I suppose one can call the Wells community. Mm -hmm. Because especially at the end of his life, Wells was uh, surrounded by a lot of people who felt that he'd been extremely Mm ill-served by the film industry and by life in general, and that he was, in effect, some sort of a sacrificial victim Mm -hmm. uh, who had been uh, deliberately targeted by those... In power uh, and punished for his originality. Uh, this is not true. I mean, I'm sure that uh, people of more conventional minds are are challenged when people come up with something rather marvelous. But Wells's woes in the world, his his extraordinarily accident-prone career are not the result of a sustained attempt by anybody to eliminate him. Uh, They're very often generated by him Um, because he was an immensely complex man, and it's just foolish to say otherwise, but some people don't want you to say that. Mm -hmm. And uh, so a number of people that had spoken to me very freely had ceased to speak to me wow. um, because they felt that I'd betrayed Wells, mm-hmm. uh, and they really, literally, do see the world as as those as, you know who are with him or those who are against him, mm-hmm. and of course it's not like that. It can't ever be like that. I mean, Wells behaved abominably mm-hmm. often. It doesn't stop him from being a great man in many ways, and it doesn't stop him from being a great artist in many ways. Mm-hmm. Um, Could he have been a greater artist? Possibly yes. Could he have uh, made many more films? Yes. He could have done. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, uh, But they certainly didn't want me to say that and they they liked that even less when I said the same thing in Hello Americans. uh, As you'll see, Uh, um, the whole catastrophe of his Brazilian film, It's All True, which then resulted in the debacle over Magnificent and Amerson's, right, exactly. which ended up in him being essentially cast out of Hollywood mm-hmm. uh, these things were self-generated they were not uh, it, it was not a, a cruel or a misguided or a philistine film company that uh, um, um, laid these things on him they were Self-induced, you know. So one has to say these things, but I I, I don't really mean it to be censorious. I I think you just have to understand things. You have to say, well, this is why this happened as it happened. And um, uh, that's been my line all the way through. And as, as I've advanced through the book and advanced in the veil of years myself, I suppose I've become very compassionate towards a man who was in the grip of an immensely difficult personality. Uh, mm-hmm. it, I, I, I think, on the crudest possible uh, level, I, one can say that the circumstances of his childhood in which he was, apart from the misery of losing his mother when he was nine and then uh, um, his father being an alcoholic and... Uh, all these other things, but he was told from almost the cradle that he was a genius and that geniuses can behave however they like Mm -hmm. if they're good enough, you know, and even at the school, he went to a school which just before he went to that school had gone from being more or less a reformatory into being the most liberal liberal school imaginable where where it was you 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 were to learn by doing and uh whatever your special skills were special gifts were they were to be encouraged and uh, all the facilities for your um, pursuing those interests so if you were interested in uh Aircraft, for example, there was a, a, an aerodrome there, and you could <laughs> uh, uh, help to build a plane. Wow. Uh, if you were interested in horticulture, there were gardens. You could, uh, you know, learn how to develop, grow, market vegetables, you know. And, and these were not college students. These were no, kids. Kids, yeah. 12, 13, crazy. 14. And uh, in Wells's case, there was the theater. The theater which was more or less handed over to him pretty mm. soon after he arrived. And which was his paradise, and 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 very well equipped theatre, mm-hmm. and he was well ahead. He was very um, um, up to what, what was going on in Europe at the time, and and he had this captive uh, cast, you know, and so on, mm-hmm. and uh, was given his head, and it was he was not liked for it. Mm-hmm. The boys didn't like that, mm-hmm. and the teachers hated it. Wow. So, well, how else would it be? Yeah. Totally. However, the headmaster absolutely adored him. Mm-hmm. And he was given a sort of a home from home there. So so things balanced up to some extent. Uh, and he developed into a, 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 a young man of, of absolutely matchless charm, extraordinary mm-hmm. physical presence mm-hmm. and a, a strong anti-authoritarian streak, mm-hmm. which made life difficult for him in every sphere that he entered really mm-hmm. the theatre which is where he clashed with housemen, who would sometimes have to say to him we have no money. That would be intolerable to Wells. In in radio he had to trim his wings as well mm-hmm. and uh, of course in, in Hollywood you know you, you, you were always answerable to somebody. Well basically the people who put up the money. Um, and curiously for such an brilliant man, he managed to get himself endlessly into situations where uh, which, where he wasn't helping himself at all. Right. And that's a curious mentality and an interesting one. But uh, there's some comparison here with Oscar Wilde, about whom I've also written a, a smaller a book mm-hmm. uh, called Oscar Wilde and His Circle, where Wilde also was told that he was a genius from the cradle. Okay. He also believed that he was uniquely gifted and that the world, sooner or later, must understand that mm-hmm. and allow him to do whatever it was he needed to do to make the wonderful works of art that he was making and uh, and that uh, he must be allowed anything that he wanted. And you, you actually, curious enough, find the same uh, mindset in... Richard Wagner, mm-hmm. who had no doubt whatever—he wasn't told that he was a genius from the cradle. Mm-hmm. He just knew it. Mm-hmm. He told everybody else from the cradle that mm-hmm. he was a genius, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they had His mother said, "But you can't play the piano. You're useless." Uh, and, uh, mm-hmm. but he knew. He knew absolutely what was in him. And that one day he was going to do something absolutely extraordinary he didn't really know what it was, even mm-hmm. he thought he was going to be a playwright um but and then and then he then with his discovery of beethoven he 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 thought that's it, that's what I'm going to do, but he didn't really have any training any musical training of any kind. Mm-hmm. He taught himself books. Um, uh, and then he went to the old cantor of St Thomas's in Leipzig, who who made, forced him to write fugues, mm-hmm. which is really the only proper training the Wagner ever got. But it's a good right. training. Um, then he, you know, worked his way up as a conductor, assistant conductor, and all the time. Mm-hmm. The stuff was welling up inside him, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, he believed, as exactly probably Orson Welles did, and uh, Oscar Wilde certainly did, that. He was. People should look after him. Mm-hmm. People should really give him all the. But Wagner said, "You know, I need these things. I, I need love, lovely clothes. I must have." Why, why are you being so niggardly about it? I, I'm writing this wonderful music. Mm-hmm. Give me all this. Well, he was writing wonderful music. So you sort yeah. of think, well, I suppose he got a bit of a point. But mm-hmm. but he was absolutely. And they're very interesting. I've you know written. Many people have pointed it out. Mm-hmm. By and large, I've written books about monsters. (laughs) And it's been interesting. Lawton was was incredibly difficult, too. And uh, um, Dickens, though, in my view, probably a a much more um, um, open and Mm -hmm. amiable character, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. also had great darkness within him and was also absolutely driven by willpower. It's the only way he did what he did. It's mm-hmm. the only way he could have done. Why I'm so interested in these people when I'm the exact opposite, when I'm <laughs> completely incapable of, <laughs> of fighting my own corner ever um, uh, is, a, is a, an interesting question.
1: Well, you seem pretty dedicated. I mean... To, to travel as much as you did, especially in the pre-internet mm. world where you had to drive, mm. come to the Mer- America, drive to Kenosha and mm. you know, Grand Detour, all these little places... Couldn't
2: and, even g- drive. So it was even worse. I had to drive <laughs> okay. uh, cabs and all oh, that. Oh, heavens.
1: So, and, and to some extent, you were saying earlier before we went on the air that you've basically financed this, this incredible odyssey of the Orson Welles biographies yeah. without a lot of backing, even though your book's are published
2: yeah, yeah. around the world, yeah, yeah,
1: and successful. There's not, you know, they're not at the airport lobby, yes. And they, if, they if you just up.
2: added up the hours that I've spent, boy, this, it's just a, a ridiculous
1: total. What, what is what is in it for you? What do you what do you find so satisfying about it? Writing the books.
2: I mean, yeah. it's just. I hope they're good. I think they are on the whole good, and I I work staggeringly hard to make them good. I I'm I, what can you do if you if you want to write if you if that's your you know mm-hmm. that's what drives you then what else can you do I'm to some extent driven also as an actor by the same thing mm-hmm. I, I, I want to do something. I, my mother was a very crucial uh, figure in that regard. She was a very tough woman. She but she she's a very Catholic, very strongly, severely Catholic person. But she used to say. Ta- the proverb of the, of the talents, the the parable of the talents, is the mm-hmm. thing to listen to. She said, if you've been given a talent, she said, so few people have real talents. Mm-hmm. If you have been given a talent, you mm-hmm. absolutely have an obligation before God to do something with it. Your obligation towards your fellow human beings, many of whom haven't. Had the good luck to be talented like that. You've got to do something with it, and I—I've always sort of felt that. I've always felt that, I—I—I, I, I, although one could have a much easier life, that that uh, I've got—I've got, I've got to have something to show, mm-hmm. for my life, you mm-hmm. know. And uh, uh, I have, you know, in the books, and I mm-hmm. hope in some of the performances and and mm-hmm. some of the productions, you know. That that's, <clears throat> I, I think that's what you know. Um, the only way it's going to work if, if we all do to our best. God knows it hasn't been for the money, I can tell you. That I don't recommend anybody, <laughs> if they wish to get rich, to do a multiple-volume biography. I'm sure Mr. Caro uh, will agree in his Odyssey through Lyndon Johnson's no, life.
1: Yeah, he, he gets a lot of credit for it, though. Right? Yeah, yeah. And, and so you, you have certainly received great accolades for the wells books and your other books as well which um the the current one you're researching will it will take you still a few more years to
2: complete oh no no i'll finish it next year oh seriously yeah
1: okay because yeah, yeah, yeah. you i think you because remember uh, i put been the re- other ones out about every 10 years so i thought this was yeah, yeah no 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 no
2: because okay. uh, remember that i've been researching him, True. all of his life since True. 1989. Oh, I so I've already this is this is the sort of final uh, um, assault on uh, <laughs> the material because. Here in uh, um, Ann Arbor, the 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 collection is so remarkable, and it's so wonderfully cataloged, and it's mm-hmm. been so it's so accessible. And good. now a lot of it's being digitized, which is also wonderfully helpful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's much easier; everything can go much more quickly oh, now than it used to. But it, it, it's been vital for me to come here, and mm-hmm. I'll, I'll probably come back again next year, mm-hmm. just for a final, final, final little assault. But uh, mm-hmm. you know what you're trying to do, what I'm trying to do in this book not more than in the other biographies this is the only biography which I would describe as a work of scholarship mm-hmm. and it really is mm-hmm. I can say with my hand on my heart mm-hmm. a work of very serious scholarship. Mm-hmm. This has been deeply researched and deeply checked and mm-hmm. is I hope as close to the actual facts of Wells's life as you'll ever get. So <clears throat> well I hope somebody else will <laughs> do more but but. but. It certainly is for, uh, as, uh, an advance on anything we've had so far, mm-hmm. um, um, but that's um, uh, it, so much easier now than it mm-hmm. was. It's just a hundred times easier. Yeah. But in in the in the yesteryear, I guess just it's just incredible. But but mm-hmm. now I, I can I can draw all the threads together, mm-hmm. uh, and you're 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 always you never really know even with the biography even with factual work you never know mm-hmm. finally what the story is going to be what it mm-hmm. you have to listen to your own promptings you have to what's going on here mm-hmm. why is this the way it is mm-hmm. why did he do this instead of that you know mm-hmm. when he could so easily have done that but he did this you have to find out why mm-hmm. and and of course we're always looking for clues and you can you never run out of clues. But you get enough clues, like a detective, mm-hmm. to form an overall picture of what's mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. And that's all I can offer, really. Because obviously I can't. But I know more about Orson Welles than Orson Welles did. That's for sure.
1: <laughs> I believe that. I, I, and you, you know more about Orson Welles than, I mean, no one has written more than a single volume biography of the man.
2: No, nope, it's true. You're up. 34. I've written so far 750,000 words about horse Seriously? <laughs> yes, that's what somebody in the office uh, totted up.
1: <laughs> We're so happy to have Simon Callow here with us this afternoon here on Living Writers here at WCBN, FM Ann Arbor. And I want to say thank you so much for your time today, sir. Thank you. And very best wishes for continued success on the, the stage, on the screen, and on the pages of books because it's uh, – you made a great contribution. What your what your mother told you. <laughs> you have done it in space. Absolutely.
2: Good. Well, thank you. Now, from WCBNFMN.
0: We've got some special guests in today. Uh no intro because the the levels on this audio board are messing up, but uh we're very excited about um this episode. We've got two wonderful Michigan Women's Ice Hockey players, uh, as well as we've brought in Kendall Spencer to co-host with me, who is uh, the WCBN Sports Director of Social Media. But in the studio right now, we have Robin Goldman, uh, Michigan Women's Ice Hockey Club President and Assistant Captain, and later in the show, um, her bus is running late, we'll have Sandrine Poneth, who is the goaltender uh, for the team and the 2022 MVP. So Robin, how are you feeling?
1: Uh, Good, how are you?
0: Pretty good. (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> just sort of chilling um Kendall, what about you?
1: Oh, I'm great. I'm excellent. <laughs> thanks for asking
0: good, good uh, so I mean, we're gonna kick into a bit more of a preview once Sandrine gets here, but Robin, anything you know what's your what's your live radio experience so far
1: um this is my first live radio <laughs> experience so <laughs> far, so <laughs>
2: this is number one
0: what I'm getting phone calls. <laughs> uh, you are listening live to 88.3 WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. Um, so we're excited to have you, Robin. Uh, you guys, and you're an assistant captain, um, joined by Katie German and a few others. So in terms of the leadership of this team, you've lost uh, a number of seniors from last season. Uh, talk a bit about how you guys are stepping up in leadership roles to guide this team.
1: Yeah, I think it's been a pretty smooth transition. Obviously, we lost like Eight or nine seniors last year, which was tough, especially in the leadership aspects of it um but I think we're doing pretty well. We got Katie who does a ton of work, especially on i stuff because she's the captain um she's also the vice president, so she works a lot with logistics with me.